So go ahead and make yourselves comfortable in the plastic chair as much as plastic can be comfortable. And turn in your Bibles, if you have one, or your app to Revelation 2. Revelation 2, we're going to continue a series that Chris and Wes started. And by the way, they did a great job. I listened to those sermons online, was very excited where I got to assess those. I know that you guys were listening to them, but I was studying those, listening to them multiple times. It's part of their residency is to get them up here and give them experience from the pulpit. That's really, it's really hard to do this, okay? So they're growing, and man, I'll be honest with you, I visited four or five churches there in the West Texas and in the Metroplex area. I didn't visit a single church under 4,000 people. I was even in a church of over 25,000 people. And I think the pastors we have here, the residents we have here, could preach at any of those churches easily. We have a high quality, and they're growing really fast. So very thankful for them to carry the weight while um, I was gone, didn't lose a wink of sleep. Um, So I'm very excited that they started this series, and today we're going to pick it up in verse 18. While you're looking there, while you're turning there, some of you are new to Knoxville within the last couple years, and some of you have been here for a while, and if you've been here for a while, you're going to remember what I'm talking about. But the year 2012 was a little bit of a different year for Knoxville. We were going through a little bit of an identity crisis. The gay advocate had ranked us as the eighth gayest city in America. Never on the list before that. We've dropped off since then. We're not even an honorable mention. But 2012 we were, and we had leapfrogged some cities like Los Angeles, New York, right? Atlanta, Asheville, San Francisco, right? We leapfrogged those. So obviously there was a lot of chatter here. Are we really that gay of a city? Do we really embrace that? I mean, is the culture here and the environment here really that accepting? Is, is that where we have come to? I mean, this is something that people have lived here their whole life. We're struggling to understand. So people were starting to deposit what they thought about this ranking, right? One pastor here local, um, she has a church across town, the Reverend Jill Sizemore, who is for um, more gay lifestyle. Um, She'd like to see it embraced even more, and she's a big proponent of gay marriage. This is what she says during that whole um, debate. She says, one of the obstacles is the culture of violence coming from the pulpit here in the Bible Belt, which comes from people who are too lazy to do their homework in the scriptures. I'm pretty sure she's talking about us. I think people here are overwhelmingly gentle and loving, and those with half a heart understand that violence from the pulpit is wrong and that we're raised in a culture of fear. If we can get past that judgment and create real dialogue, people will realize we are not who these preachers are say we are. Listen, how can we faithfully bring Jesus, his gospel, the Bible, how can we bring that to a society and a culture that values tolerance more than truth? How do we do that? Is it possible? Tolerance used to mean bearing with somebody or being patient with somebody. That that used to be the definition of tolerance. Tolerance now is agreeing with the person and giving their position equal or more validity than your own. So the term has changed weight. It's even changed meaning over the years. So now to disagree with someone, according to this pastor, to disagree is to be violent, to be intolerant, to be hateful, bigoted, prejudiced, archaic, dumb, closed-minded. Should our church be tolerant? 
Should it? Can it? Can Legacy Church be tolerant and still be honorable to the whole counsel of the entire Word of God to a city? What about you personally? And you're weak. You know, what does tolerance mean for you? Are you tolerant? Are you more tolerant than God? What is it? Have you, has your tolerance kind of devolved into just agreeing with somebody so that they might look at you a little bit differently? For those of you who are intolerant, do you wear it as a badge of honor? I'm tolerant and proud. I don't agree with anything, and they could just hit the door running. Is there a, a, an intolerance in you, maybe, that has devolved into just a disinterest? Maybe a prejudice or a, or a bigotry in and of itself. You see how confusing it is? Tolerance is not a small topic for Christians. It's confusing. It's confused a lot. I think it confuses a lot of people in here. It's confused me from time to time. Listen, I've known families, and it, and it always gets tougher. Tolerance always gets tougher the closer somebody gets to you, right? So I've known families that have grown up, and they said, listen, it's all about heterosexual monogamous marriage, and that's what it's about. They've read books on it, been in classes about it, until Junior comes back from college and says, Mom, Dad, I'm gay, and this is my partner, and we're getting married. Now that forces the couple, the family, to decide, are we going to exclude them and kick them out of the family? Are we going to love them, but yet disagree with them? Or are we going to change our theology to allow for Junior? Because we love Junior, and Junior means best. And love is love, and we all should love. And then all of a sudden, they have rewritten their doctrine. They've taken what God has said, and they've morphed it to something else. I've seen this happen. Some of you have struggled with this. How many of you have been in a place where you have felt like you were being asked to change the way you think about God because of someone that you love. How many times has someone come up to you and said, hey, you're not one of those Christians that believes fill in the blank. And then you find yourself put in the position of going, golly, I really am one of those kinds of Christians, but I feel like I need to nod my head and say no because I think they're going to hate me if I say yes. Jesus, through John, writes to a church that has totally untied itself from the dock is now slamming into other boats, no compass, no captain. It's a church that has embraced tolerance at the wrong time and with the wrong people. And I hope what you've seen in the last few weeks is the guys have been bringing this, this series to you, that Jesus is talking to some very specific churches, and they're all clustered together, right? The, the one that we're talking about today is Thyatira. It's the smallest of all the cities, even though the most has been written to it. But it's not just to those cities alone it's to us as well and what's true for them is true for us and as a pastor when I read this letter there's always a piece of me that says is legacy in here at all I think there's a piece of every church in some of these letters in some way shape or form so this is important for us today so let's just look I'm going to give you a snapshot of the city right Thyatira a little bit different Big manufacturing hub. Not the biggest city, but it fit on some crossroads that were pretty big trade routes. So it was an easy place to build stuff and ship it. Build stuff and send it, right? It was one of those, it was a blue-collar town, basically, right? A lot of people there making things. And because Thyatira was arranged this way and set up this way, it had a lot of these things called guilds. G-U-I-L-D-S, because the microphone makes my S's sound weird. Guilds, right? Not like video gaming guilds, which some of you are probably in. But it's more like a union, right? Like a strong union. It's where people in the same industry would come together and do life. 
They would protect each other. They would um, discuss things. They would worship together. It would be like in here. Let's say uh, we had a, I don't know, we're in Knoxville, a bacon guild. <laughs> the industry of bacon, which we would all love to be in, would we not? But let's say I, I produce bacon because my parents made bacon, and I'm pretty sure my kids will because that's how things happened back then, right? And I'm going to pick Keenan because he's a vegetarian. So let's say Keenan had his own little kiosk in the mall where they sold bacon, right? So, but this is his first chance to do it. So he's a young upstart. And let's say there's six or seven other of you in there, right? We're all in there. Now, we're always talking about things, and we set up rules to protect ourselves. Let's say that Keenan needs some bacon because he ran out. So I'm going to loan him bacon, but the guild decides, Luke, you can't charge him more than this level of interest. We have to protect and cover each other. It's good if we all can make it through this, right? But they also worshiped together. They also studied together. They did life together. They'd show up from week to week to week, and they're used to seeing each other. That's Jack's family. This is John's family. It's just almost like a small church. That's the way these guilds worked. Now, to be excluded from one of these guilds was a really big deal. And a lot of Christians who were becoming Christian were excluded and pushed out of these strong union-type guilds. And if you were, it wasn't just a social out, you weren't just a social outcast. You were prevented from pursuing a trade. It was financial ruin. Any money that you would have invested in that, any dues you would have paid, gone. Your shop, gone. Your right and ability to do business in that town, gone. So becoming a Christian in this city, in a blue-collar town like that, Retira, had radical implications. Not just social ones, but financial ones and even spiritual ones. Right? Just a snapshot of the city we're looking at right now. I'm going to jump right in. Is that okay? Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. Let me pray for just a minute. Father, I thank you for this, this time where we can peer into the inner workings of a church that is struggling. And God, maybe even by your grace, see a piece of us in it. God, that a sharp word a loving word, a graceful word to a church that you loved back then can be received as a graceful, loving challenge to a church today. God, because we need your word, we need your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. And I pray that even today, even in the next several minutes, God, that you're able to do that in our hearts, that you do that in our hearts and show us specifically where we are from the church of Thyatira, even here in Knoxville. You're so good to us. Such a generous God, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Revelations two, Revelation 2, verse 18, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Pause. Okay, here's where Jesus is introducing himself. He's telling us a little bit about what he looks like, and now this is important right now. I know people say that Revelation is a difficult book. It's like mysterious, and it's foggy, and it has mystery, and we need a decoder ring to figure out what all the little things mean. But it's really not like that at all. The whole name of it is Revelation, which means to reveal. <laughs> reveal. Jesus is revealing himself. He's showing us what he looks like. He's not concealing it or hiding it or injecting mystery into it. So right here he is saying that he is the Son of God, one, has eyes like flames of fire, two, and has feet like burnished bronze. Three. Why is he saying this? And why is he not saying something else? He's introducing himself appropriately to a city that needs to hear that greeting. We, we all do this, by the way, right? When I'm having a, a pretty serious moment with my kids, I'll look at them and I'll talk and I'll say, hey, listen, now I'm your father. I'm your dad talking to you right now. 
I'm a, it's an appropriate introduction, right? If I'm enjoying my coffee in my front lawn and my neighbor comes over with a dog and he takes a drop right there in my lawn, right? I say, hey, 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 I'm the homeowner, right? He doesn't care if I'm a father. I'm gonna let, and I don't care if he knows that I'm a father. I'm a homeowner. It's my lawn, right? If, if I'm with Kevin or if I'm with Sean, I'm like, hey, I'm your buddy. I'm your friend. But, but if I'm in a tender moment with Sean, he doesn't care if I'm a homeowner. <laughs> he doesn't care if I'm a father. He needs to know I'm a buddy. This is all Jesus is doing. This is all he's doing. He's introducing himself appropriately. So let's look at it, right? Because the gospel does, the gospels, let me say it that way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the gospels do a fantastic job of illustrating Jesus as the son of man. He's always been fully God, fully man, right? Even right now, as he's at the right hand of God, right now, he is still fully man. He's fully God and fully man right now. But what the Gospels do is they show us a beautiful picture of what Jesus looks like when he is fully man. He comes into creation as a being. He has a trade. He's a carpenter. He tells jokes with us. He sits around a campfire. He gets sunburned like us. He eats. He does all the things that we do, right? Right here he's saying, I am on the other side of the cross and he's emphasizing the fact that, yes, I'm son of man. I am son of God right now. Son of God. This is important because in Thyatira, they worshiped Apollo. That was the chief god, Apollo, right? The son of Zeus. Zeus was the big god, the, the ark god. And so he was, Apollo, the son of God. And Jesus says, no, he wasn't. I am. I'm the son of God. I'm God Almighty. That's what he says. Apollo's nothing. Apollo's a bad boxer and Rocky 1 and 2, who can't even beat a Russian, right? That's all Apollo is, but I am the son of God. I am God is what he's saying. And then he goes deeper into this discussion. And he says, I have eyes of fire. Eyes like fire. What does that mean? Someone just throw out a couple possibilities. What could that mean, the symbolism there? Radical? Radical? I like that. I haven't heard that yet. What else can it mean? <laughs> I'm sure that's correct. Brandy says lasers, it can burn through anything. What else? What else can it mean? Huh? No. Oh my goodness. Okay. Let me help you out. Whenever you see fire, this is for free. Whenever you see fire as a symbol in the Bible, it usually means one of two things. It can mean judgment or it can mean refining, depending on where it's used, right? Right here, it's nuancing judgment. He has eyes like fire, which means he sees everything as it really is. And he's able to divide rightly between right and wrong. He has eyes of fire. All seeing, all judging, all correct. That's, that's what that means right there. Now, feet burnished with bronze, and that's a little bit different, a little bit tougher. All that means is he's able to move. He's able to carry out effort. He's able to execute decisions. He's able to go to war. He has motion. He's capable. So if you look at this introduction to this church, he's saying, I am God. I can see everything, even, even what's going on in your heart, which he says later on. I can judge everything correctly because you can't. And I can execute my judgment, make no mistake. That is how he's introducing himself to these people. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, now this is good. This isn't bad. These are good metrics for a church, I think right? People walking around town probably thought it was a good church. They would have told your average person, that's, that's a great church. They're growing. They're expanding, right? They're getting bigger. But then verse 20, but I have this against you, that you, and here's the big word for today, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, 
who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, now here's the problem right here. Here's the problem. The problem is that the church was tolerating a divisive and influential heretic. Jezebel. It's most likely not a real name, by the way. I don't think people name their kids that, knowing who the original Jezebel was in Kings. It most likely was not her name. Most likely, this is referring uh, how we would, when we would call somebody a certain name, even though it's not their name, but they have all the characteristics of the person that that name belongs to, right? So have you ever been around a Debbie Downer? Right? You're such a Debbie Downer, right? We're not really saying that their, their name is Debbie, unless their name was Debbie. That would be a downer, right? I'm just playing. Gosh. Listen, if your name is Debbie and you're here today, we love you. Thanks for coming to Legacy Church, and I'm sorry I said that. Jezebel was a woman who really lived in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, there's a lot of texts connected to that name. I encourage you to do the homework on your own to see what kind of a woman this was. Um, but just to get to the punchline, she was a woman that hated God, and probably the only thing she hated more than God were the followers of God. Right? She was a liar, and she was a murderer. And she nurtured and developed her own little theology, and she had 900, she subsidized 900 prophets of Satan to eclipse and take over the priestly system that God had already set in. She was a dangerous woman. Nutshell, she was really good at leading people away from God. Of all the names that Jesus could have used, all the titles, he chooses this one, right? She was teaching others in this church of Thyatira that they could actually take the world, add it to their faith, and that God was cool with it. Turns out God is not so cool with it. The two sins mentioned here are meat sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality, which would be found mostly in the guilds. Back to the guilds, right? This is how this works, just to give you a glimpse. Let's say we're in a guild, an iPhone cover guild, right? You make iPhone covers. It's all you do, right? And here you are, you're in there, and you're, everyone around you has made iPhone covers, and that's all they've ever known, and their kids probably are going to as well. And Just imagine, there'll be about 10 or 12 families in there, and you've grown up with them since you were a kid. They've known you. They've known your nicknames. You've developed kind of a, a, a deep family operating kind of community with. You sit there and you talk, and you have a meeting, and you hee-haw around, and you do stuff that people do when they get together, and then out comes the cow. Someone brings a cow out, they're going to have a sacrifice right there to a god, the god of the iPhone cover. I don't know. Whatever god that that guild worshipped in order to make them prosperous and bring them security. They kill the cow. They eat the brisket. They, they bring out the wine. Things get a little crazy. And then they wake up with someone that they are not married to. Okay? This is literally how they worshipped. It was just normal. That's how guilds did it back then. That's how they worshipped their gods. Can you see how hard this would be if you were a new Christian? To say, hey, I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> I don't worship Zeus or any spawn of Zeus. I, I worship Jesus, who is king. I, I can't eat that with you guys. I, I definitely can't do that with her or him. I'm different now. And then you're excluded. 
It puts, it puts Christians in a difficult place of saying, I can either have security and I can have provision and I can have family and acceptance and approval or I can have Jesus. I mean, is this not what's happening in the Middle East right now? Make no mistake, friends, as we speak right now, there are people who are being killed just merely for being Christian. They're just Christians. Christians being killed for being Christians. It has a big price tag to it. That's what we have going on in this city. These Christians risked everything just to be a Christian, a pure Christian. And then along comes Jezebel. Right? And what she says has some sway. It probably sounded a little something like this. Hey, I speak for God. I'm influential. You guys know that. And I've heard from God, and he wants me to tell you that this is all okay. You could do this. Come on. This is totally fine. She probably said something like what Piers Morgan said not too long ago, whenever he said, hey, hey, isn't it time to just drag the Old Testament, kicking and screaming, even if need be, into the new age? Because we're a new age people. We're intelligent. We're, we've progressed. We have technology, whatever that means. I can see her saying something like that. That's, that's not sin. That's an alternative lifestyle. It's an alternative. You can have all of this in Jesus. We're not telling you to leave Jesus. We're just saying add this. Don't be so close-minded. Don't be so stodgy. That's what your grandparents did. We're a new people. We're a progressive people. We are a tolerant people. Right? I can see her saying that. Can you see why that would be attractive to people who are facing financial ruin and total exclusion from family? Let me give you an update. We still have those voices in culture today. The voice of Jezebel is still preaching. Not to sound doom and gloom, but just, hey, listen, it's, it's out there, right? She's long dead, and she was very alive all at the same time. There's a video that's easy to find online, and I don't care if you look it up or not, but Rob Bell is being interviewed on video about his views of gay marriage, just to use that as another example right? Some of you have never heard that name before. He pastors 15,000 people in Michigan, and he has 50,000 downloads every five days. It's a lot. Influential. Influential, right? He says this, the only way of see the old way of seeing things does not work. Catch this. The old way of seeing things does not work. It causes so much pain and heartache, and God is inviting us to see things in new ways. Friends, he is not. God is not inviting us to see things in new ways. He's asking us to hold fast to what he's already given us, which is what he's about to say. Someone in this church was heretical, this Jezebel, and she rises up, and guess whose fault it is? It's the church's fault. It's the leader's fault. Because a wolf is speaking, and they're sleeping. And they should have woke up, and they should have run off the wolf, but instead they give her a megaphone. And they give her a soapbox. And now people are walking away from the truth. That's what's happening. The leaders were being tolerant. Tolerant. It turns out they were being more tolerant than God. Now listen, God is not rebuking this church because there is a Jezebel. They're rebuking this church because they allowed Jezebel to run the church and run people straight up away from God. So legacy, let me just tell you really quickly before I move on any further in this. The healthiest thing we can do as a leadership team, me as one of the pastors here, the healthiest thing we can do for you is to be intolerant of some things. I know it's not popular. It's the healthiest thing in the world for you, we believe. When it comes, and hear me clearly because it'll be easy to take me out of context right here. 
when it comes to people who claim to be Christian, who claim to love Jesus and live a Christian lifestyle, if they start taking people loudly on weird paths away from truth, away from Christ, we have to get out in front of that really fast. We have to wake up. We have to be shepherds. That's what we do. That's one of the best ways that we can serve you. That's one of the most important ways for us to serve you. And yes, we have had to run off a couple wolves. It's happened, right? And those wolves and their friends and their family and the city will look at us in that moment and they will say, Luke, you guys are so intolerant. So hateful what you did to that person. It's just not loving. It's just rude and it's close-minded. It's violent, as that pastor had put it. It's already happened. There's a church not too far from here. This is on their website. I'm not blasting them. I'm reading off their website. And it says this, Ask 100 Unitarian Universalists what each believes, and you will probably get 100 different answers. Okay, listen, straight up, that's bad for any church. Listen, if you never come back to Legacy again and you start visiting other churches, if you ask even 10 believers what they believe and you get 10 different answers, run to your car. Just run, right? Drive to Jason's Deli, get a good lunch, take a nap, wash all that stuff off with a shower later on, and just try again next week. Not a good church, okay? It's not something I put on my website. That's for sure. All right, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to blast them. Our faith, it says, our faith allows us each to pursue the truth in worship in whatever way suits us. Not making this up. What holds us together is not a particular doctrine, but a covenant that we respect each other in our pursuit of the truth and worship together in peace. Okay, listen, that sounds nice. It really does sound warm. and It sounds inviting, too. It sounds inclusive. I think they're going to embrace a lot of people. A church like this is never going to get called stodgy. <laughs> never. They're never going to be called intolerant or violent or hateful. They're never going to get that. It's never going to happen because they could take pieces out of their theology and they can add them right back in. I mean, they could just change their theology depending on what day of the week it is. And it's totally cool. Now listen, I agree. We need to covenant with each other. I'm not disagreeing with the covenant that we have with each other, but before I have a covenant with you, I've got a covenant with God. My initial covenant is with the Lord King God Almighty. And it is out of that covenant that I can do a better job with my covenant with you. I don't serve you, and I don't want to lead and be a part of your life and help and minister to you just because I respect your feelings. I do it because of initial covenant. They say their covenant is with peace. I'd submit that your covenant be with the king of peace instead. And let all the covenants you have come out of that initial one. What they've done is they've taken that initial covenant out. It's not there. And it's all about mutual respect. What they've done is they've said, we value tolerance more than the truth. It's dangerous. Super dangerous. Let me talk about you a little bit. Because we don't have guilds today. Not really. Right. And we don't have deep, deep, deep connections with a large community that can bring shame on you and financial ruin unless you're like in the mafia or something like that. And if you are, I'll talk to you after the... If you're in the mafia, we're glad you're here today at Legacy Church. Thanks for coming. I'll talk to you after the service. But we have some things in common, don't we? Don't we have a desire to fit in? I can feel, I can feel the pain of this church. I can feel the pain of those that are listening to Jezebel's voice. I can feel it. The draw. I want to fit in. I don't want to rock the boat at work. Any of you want to do that? I don't want to lose family members, friends, 
Any of you want your reputation totally trashed? I feel the draw. I, I want society to give me a thumbs up. Pure and simple. That's what my flesh wants. Can I just say real quick, beware, beware if the culture ever gives you applause for your deep tolerance. You might be agreeing to things that Jesus died on the cross to destroy. Right, beware, because it happens. We want Jesus. Sometimes that price tag gets really high. Listen, if you're a student in here, you might have to raise your hand at times it will mark you. You might have to have discussions with a professor that's going to end up with you getting blasted just for being a Christian. I did it, I know. I was totally exiled. When I became a Christian as a biochemistry major, I was exiled. I went from like 9,000 friends to like two, you know? I mean, it was drastic. Be ready for that. Friends, you might need to say something to your boss. You might not get that promotion. You might lose that family member. It might, might happen. It might happen. We want it easy with us and our reputation, and I get that. We want to live where the culture approves of us, and I get that. And I think the reason we're so hungry for this is because we don't ever want to be seen as intolerant. Because it's, impo it's unpopular. I mean, is there anything more popular today than being tolerant? And it's like the more tolerant you are, the more everybody loves you. It's, it's cool. It's cool to be tolerant. Not so cool to be a Christian. Eh, not really. If I was to be on The View, which is a nightmare for me, so I'm sitting next to Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg, right, and the cameras go, and they're on, and Whoopi says, hey, Luke, it's good to have you here. Yeah, yeah, Whoopi, it's great to be here. Well, hey, we just wanted to talk. Hey, just before we even get started, are you one of those Christians that whatever I say, I'm either going to get a standing applause from everybody in the audience, you know, or I'm going to get booed, or they're just going to go after me with their talons, which probably all of the above, right? I mean, it's tempting. We want our boss to like us. We want our professor to like us. We want our friends to like us. We, I, I get that. But I think what's happened is, is we place so much affection in the way the world sees us, we have forgotten about an identity that's already been rewarded to us. We've left it in the dust, and we've said it's inadequate. we said it's insufficient. Let me tell you how this works. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do we have that, Sean? It says this. This is a great, and listen, if you're into memorizing scripture, by the way, great one to memorize. This is a great one. It's really quick, it's really small, and it's easy if you're preaching the gospel to yourself or those in community with you. This is a great place to start in memorization. It says this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. He made Jesus, who never even knew sin, he made him sin. Right on that cross. Comma so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, I sense a swap there, don't you? There's a trade going on, right? We should all, this is how this works, we should all be the ones who are not tolerated. God has the right to not tolerate any of us, but he brings us more than just tolerance, right? You, you could feel the difference between being loved and tolerated, correct? He doesn't just tolerate us. He embraces us and draws us near, which is exciting for me. All the sin in the world, all the brokenness and corruption that God cannot tolerate, he placed on the shoulders of one that he loved dearly. Why? So a trade could be made. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 could happen. So that everything that was dirty and sleazy about you, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on, is traded for a righteous life lived. There's a swap. 
Well, what does that mean? It means God looks at you differently. Forensically, God sees you as pure, sees you as innocent. It's a very important scripture. But what do we do? We, and I do it too. We chase the identity of the world, this horizontal identity, approval, instead of just resting in the, the vertical one that we have. We chase the horizontal one. I want you to like me. I want you to like me. I want you to approve of me. I want you to think my reputation is great. And all we do when we do that is we tip our hand and we say that I feel like what Jesus did is insufficient. I don't think the cross went far enough. I don't like that image enough. I don't think that the robe of Christ, as Martin Luther said, the robe of Christ on me, I don't think it's good enough. So I have to get more. And whenever we do that, friends, whenever we do that, we have failed because we have loved self, forgotten the gospel, and we have failed our neighbor. The ones that we're trying to get approval from, we have failed them. Failed them. You know what would be helpful, maybe? As I was working, I might have needed to stick this a little earlier. There, there is a couple different kinds of tolerance. It, it might be helpful for you. It's helpful for me. There's a tolerance that I would call like a, a missional tolerance or a tolerance to the city, okay? Um, so whenever I say words like on mission or missional or missionary, all that means is that we take this beautiful thing that God has done with us in the gospel and we extend it to the city. We extend it to the culture, right? It's gospel propagation. We carry the good news that has come to us and we breathe it and we act it right on out to the city, right? So whatever that looks like, it doesn't mean you got to go to Peru. It doesn't mean you have to do anything wild or crazy or outlandish, even though those are really cool things and we need to do all of it. But it also means in your normal, boring, predictable routines, you build intention into it. The people that you see, they're, they're a little bit more than just the people you see, right? When you are on mission, that missional posture that you have, whenever you're doing that, you've got to tolerate sinners, don't you? Tolerate people that hate God. What does that mean? It means you bear with them. You love them. You sacrificially pursue them. I mean, listen, we live in a tough city, don't we? Some straight-up dirty people here in Knoxville. Gotta love them. We love sinners. Love people who are far from Christ. I wish this place was full of them. And but it's hard, isn't it? It can be hard to tolerate that. They talk about cheating on their taxes. They talk about cheating on their wives. They drink too much. They talk too much after they drink too much. They stink. They always ask for money when they stink. It's hard. But this is what we do. And listen, we don't. We don't tolerate them because it's good to do. And we don't tolerate them because it's the right thing to do. We tolerate them because we were tolerated when we were stinky and when we were gross and when we were cheaters and we were sleazy and we were vandals and we were scandalous. At our very worst, when we were misbehaving, he did more than tolerate us. And it's out of that good news and that thanksgiving that we pour out our love to a city. That's why we do that, right? So yes, we tolerate. There is tolerance but we don't agree with them. Loving them and agreeing with them, not the same thing, friend. Be careful what you nod your head to when you're talking to someone. Be careful. You give the wrong signal. There's also tolerance in these boundaries, I guess you could say. Community. Life on life with each other, right? Especially with secondary issues, secondary items. There needs to be good, good, good uh, tolerance. Like I read out of the ESV. You might read out of the King James Version. I don't really care. That's great. I also don't care what you think about the end times. 
<laughs> primary thing is, is Jesus is coming back victorious on a white horse. We'll all be together at a new communion table. Beyond a successful ending, where the rapture is, what happens, the millennium, all of that, black hop, helicopters, that's, that's you. That's a second-handed issue, right? Homeschool, not homeschool. Mm-hmm. Right? Young earth, old earth. Jason Bourne, Jack Bauer. These are distinctions. These are flavors, right? But they don't need to be lines of division where we stop tolerating and start taking jabs at each other. Jack Bauer wins that fight, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) But here is the distinction. Whenever those who call themselves Christians live sinful lives and then stamp it with an approval of God, saying God is cool with this, that, friends, we cannot tolerate. We have to be intolerant in those places. I love John Piper's quick and very pointed way of saying it when he says, there is a point where you say, thus far, no further, farewell. It's powerful. Even if culture says it's good, we don't say it's good. Even if Oprah says it's godly, we might not say that's godly. Even if the Pope says it's okay to do, we might not agree with the Pope. We have to make a stand. Because God has already spoken on issues. And we don't change the words of God. Those words change us. God has already decided where the guardrails of doctrine will be. He's already done that. So we're just the mailman. We deliver it to each other. We discuss those things. And some things there's some, there's some uh, leash back and forth on. Like the things I'd already mentioned. Secondary issues. But when it comes to a primary issue, there is a time for intolerance. Oh, man i got to burn rubber here. Okay, verse 21. I'm going to try to finish this. I gave her time to repent, Jesus says, talking about Jezebel. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. Little play of words there. And those who commit adultery with her, I will also throw into great tribulation, and catch this, unless they repent of her works. There's some grace there. Even in a rebuke, there's some grace there. He's letting them repent if they do it. If I was Jesus, I wouldn't be saying this. I'd be like, you and all your little friends, you're done. But they have an opportunity to repent. Verse 23, And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Because remember those eyes, burning fire. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Remember the feet of bronze. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of, the sa- of Satan, to you I say, and this is a good phrase for us to, we're going to end on this, the teaching, because you could go all day on this passage. I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He's talking about us now. And he will rule them with, an, with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, he says that he's not going to lay any more burdens on us. And that he's just asking that we hold fast. Right? God is saying that he's not going to add any new teachings. No, 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 no new mysteries. No new perspectives to consider. He's giving us what he wants us to hold fast to. He's just saying, hold the basics. Crank down on the basics. Protect those basics. 
turns out Rob Bell is wrong. We're not being invited to look at things anew like that, right? Turns out Piers Morgan is probably a little bit wrong. We actually don't have to end up dragging the Old Testament kicking and screaming into the year 2014 as if that's impressive to anybody. We just hold fast to what is true. We don't have to update the heart of God. You don't have to just conceive of ways to make the Bible's truth palatable to a culture who hates it. Not your burden, friend. To make the gospel this attractive thing and put all this kind of additives and food coloring in it so that the culture eats it. It's not not your burden, friend. That's the Holy Spirit's work. You can't be that cool. We can't be that cool. It's the Holy Ghost that takes a rebellious, sinful, hating heart and turns it into one that loves Him and desires to obey and chases after God. The Holy Spirit does that. He's saying, I've not put any burden on you to do that. Just hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. Do people call you intolerant? Hold fast. Are you in jeopardy of distancing a family member from you? Are you from them? Hold fast. Are you having trouble at work because you're being tempted to look the other way? Hold fast. Hold fast. That's what he's saying. Hold fast. Are you dismissed and called dumb and closed-minded, stodgy, archaic, violent? Hold fast. What else are they going to say? Hold fast. This is a passage I am going to end with. John 15. This is Jesus before the cross. Very poignant words for us right now. In verse 18 of the 15th chapter, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, it's beware of becoming more tolerant than God. Beware of that. Listen, and I just feel impressed to say this as well right now, not really a part of this, but I, I think that some of you might feel as we end this service, in fact, go ahead and stand up with me, and then we'll, that way I'm proving to you that I'm almost done. <laughs> That's a little public speaking trick. So go ahead and stand with me. But I do think, and I, and I have felt, that there might be some people in here now that feel like you are not tolerated by God, just to use the same word. Maybe you feel like you're too dirty. And here's, here's the news. You are dirty. And you're actually dirtier than you think. You're actually more sinful than you ever imagined, but grace is more beautiful than you could ever conceive all at the same time. But there might be something in you that says, I have to polish myself up to make myself more tolerable. Here's the good news for you, friend, and the bad news for you all at the same time. You cannot make yourself more tolerable. You will always be intolerable, right? Because of the sin on you. The sin you inherited through our, our first father, Adam. But this is the, the good thing is, is the work has already been done by one who was tolerable. The work has already been done so that you would be deeply loved, deeply cared for. So if that's you in here, listen. Don't fall into the trap of saying, hey, this was a good word. I need to go home and work on myself. What does that even mean? Are you going to make yourself 1% cleaner before God? 5%? 90%? It's not going to work. You can never be clean before God 
unless Jesus cleanses you the blood that came right off that crooked cross. Understand that, right? Understand that. So my appeal to you today is to make today the day that you call Christ king in your life, that you accept this work that Christ has done on the cross as he explodes out of a dark grave to just do as 2 Corinthians 5 says, which is to trade with you your sleaziness for his righteousness, your intolerable life with his very tolerable life, right? Your distance for his closeness. There's a trade. That, that's what I would appeal to you today. And we're going to have people in the back as the team comes out. Are they coming out? They'll come out sooner or later. But we'll have people in the back. I know I see, I see Wes back there. Do we have anyone else back? Can I get you two back there? We'll have Chris and Brandy back there. Um, listen, if you want someone to talk to about this, if you're struggling with intolerance at, a, at the workplace and you might need some help through that, we'll have people talking to you back. We have, we have people that can help you with that. If you need to talk to someone about how your heart feels, if you feel dirty before God and you don't know what to do, but maybe that resonated with you a little bit, I'd, I'd also encourage you to go back and talk with somebody. All right? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this word to us. God, it is a word to me. It is a word to me. It is so tempting to say things and do things so that the culture stops punching on me. No, Lord, I don't want to be seen as intolerant. I, I want to be seen as loving. We all want to be seen as loving and giving. But I know your word is true, and sometimes the loving thing is to be intolerant. God, help us get that straight in our hearts. Father, I do prize other people's approval of me more than yours. I know I do. I have to repent for that a lot. Even today, I, I repent for that. Lord, that I'd be wrapped up with your identity and the taste in my mouth for what the world could give would be totally ruined by the beauty of what you have done for me and the fact that I am seen as the righteousness of God because of what you have done. That I don't have to do anything to get approval. Something radical was already done to gift me with approval. God, you're so good. You're so gentle and so kind. Help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Help us set our affections on you. You. That we would hold fast. Hold fast, God. Give us the backbone. Give us the forehead of flint to hold fast in those tough moments. Lord, that we would be a good ministry to this city, a good ministry to each other. Lord, we love you. You're so good to us, and we thank you. And it's in your name that we celebrate. Amen.